0: All right, the Gospel of John this morning, the Gospel of John, chapter number 21 is where we're going to be at this morning, the Gospel of John, chapter number 21, the Gospel of John, chapter number 21. This is lesson number two in our series on real Christianity, and last week we looked at uh, Christianity, uh, the culprits of Christianity as far as the negative side. And so this morning, we're going to get positive, amen? Everybody likes a positive Sunday school lesson, a positive message, definitely on Easter Sunday morning. We want some positivity. And so we're going to be looking at John chapter number 21 to springboard us into this thought this morning, the real Jesus. He's a person and not a tradition. So in John chapter number 21, let's begin reading this morning. We're going to read quite a bit of this text to kind of give us some context as we dive into this topic of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to begin in verse number one. The Bible says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on the wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. And they say unto him, We go, or sorry, we also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Verse number 5, Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now uh, now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his father's, or sorry, his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Verse number ten, the Bible says, Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh, and taketh bread, and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showeth himself to his disciples, for that he was risen from the dead." So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verse 17, He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken thus, he saith unto him, Follow me. This morning, again, the the title of the Sunday School Hour, if you were able to get onto the church website and download the handout, lesson number two in our series on real Christianity, The Real Jesus, He's a Person, Not a Tradition. Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and the opportunity we have to be in your house. Lord, thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. the Sunday we, Lord, think about, Obviously, every Sunday, think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but specifically, Lord, today, as we reflect upon Jesus Christ, the Savior of all mankind. Lord, if it was not for Jesus Christ, there'd be no purpose for us meeting here this morning. There'd be no purpose for the Sunday School Hour. There'd be no purpose for us taking the Scriptures and opening them up. And I pray this morning that during this Sunday School Hour, that we would get a picture or be able to see Jesus, even this Sunday, in a different light than maybe we've seen Him before. The reality this morning is that many of us go through our Christian life and our Christian experience, per se, and we don't ever really understand Jesus Christ fully. We know He went to the cross, we know that He died, and, and we know that He shed His blood, and, and we know that He uh, gives us forgiveness of sins, but Lord, it's so much deeper than that. Help us this morning to realize who the real Jesus is, realize that He's a person a person that desires a relationship with us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right here in our text this morning, we're reading in John chapter number 21. And just to kind of give us uh, an understanding of what has taken place, uh, the cross of Calvary has already taken place. Resurrection Sunday has already taken place. And Jesus is, again, according to our passage here, the third time He's appeared to His disciples, the third time He's interacted with them, But to kind of give us some context of what's going on in society in that day, we've got to realize this. It's about 33 A.D. in Jerusalem, Israel, and uh, the course of human history was being altered by events that unfolded, obviously, with Jesus Christ's life, but also with the events that were unfolding there in Jerusalem. You see, the Roman Empire was ruling this part of the world and had a desire to ultimately rule the entire world. At the same time, you had the nation of Israel and the people, the Jewish people, who pride themselves in their national identity as God's chosen people. God's chosen people, and they were begrudgingly tolerating the Roman occupation. But at the same time, the Romans were begrudgingly just dealing with the Jews and and their mindset of worship and their way of life. And so Jerusalem was a melting pot, if you would, of ethnicities and of cultures and of sex and, and all kinds of things that were going on. And different people believe in this and different people believe in that. And so in this concept, it was, or in this uh, uh, place called Jerusalem, you had all these different concepts, these different ideas, and different things that were kind of coming together. And so you had a religious law with Jews, and, and you had this religious sect of the Jews, and, and they wanted to hold you to the letter of the law. And then you had the Romans and the government of the Romans and the mindset and the philosophy of the Romans. And all this was kind of just trying to gel together to make it work. And in the midst of all this that was going on, in the the midst of the religiousness of the Jewish people and the world dominance of the Roman Empire, you had this individual by the name of Jesus Christ just happen to show up on the scene. I mean, just, just happen to just just show up. And so when we think about Christianity, and can like, I be honest with you, Christianity did not and did not begin with, with the Apostle Paul, and it did not begin uh, with the Apostle Peter. No, no, no. In the sense of Christianity, in the true definition of the word of being a Christian or being Christ-like, it begins with Jesus Christ. And so for us this morning, we've got to get off this mindset that, hey, I'm a Christian because of my parents, or I'm a Christian because of my church, or I'm a Christian because of my religion, or I'm a Christian because of my tradition. No, 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 listen, we're either a Christian this morning, yes or no, because of Jesus Christ, bottom line. And so when we look at Jesus Christ, there's some things this morning I want us to see about Jesus, and in John chapter number 21, we get this snapshot, if you would, of an interaction between Jesus and his disciples, and specifically, you see the interaction Jesus has with the Apostle Peter. But let's kind of pause here in John chapter number 21, we're going to come back to it at the end of the Sunday School Hour, and let's look at some, just some simple facts, if you would, about Jesus Christ. The first thing I want us to notice this morning, and I want us to see, and we're going to look at Jesus' life throughout the Gospels in a, in a brief short of time, so you've got to follow along fast with me this morning, is this. Number one, he was an unexpected Savior. He was an unexpected Savior. I mean, you think about this. Jesus Christ's miraculous birth, his, his birth, and he was, he was uh, the Virgin Mary uh, uh, conceived and, and gave, uh, gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Think about, think about those that were involved in Jesus' birth. Listen, it was very unexpected. And so unexpected that this, that when Jesus came on the scene, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious rulers of the day, those ones that religiously had the teaching, had the knowledge, the ones that should have been hailing the Messiah's birth and hailing that the, the Messiah was here and that they would have the privilege to be alive during the time that Messiah walked upon the face of this earth. No, no, no. It wasn't something that they were raising their hands, singing hallelujah and kumbaya. No, no, no. There was none of that going on. No, no. They, they didn't like Jesus. And they didn't, they didn't appreciate Jesus. And they didn't appreciate what God was doing at that time. But Jesus was very unexpected, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 tells us this, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, because God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. You see, after Jesus Christ was born in that lowly manger there, he grew up in a home of poverty and obscurity, in a sense, in Nazareth, the home of a carpenter. Joseph was a carpenter. But at the age of 30, and listen, penniless and unknown, mostly to mankind, he stepped out by faith and began his earthly ministry. With no formal education, no 21st century marketing, no social media, Jesus simply stepped out, listen, stepped out and began his ministry. And there were some things that were very unexpected about his ministry. Letter A there, if you're following along in your notes, your handout for Sunday school, letter A there says his teaching was profound. It was very profound. You see, he spoke of God as no other man had. He knew God's word like no religious authority ever could. Think about the time we read in the Gospels, the story of, of Joseph and Mary and Jesus, and they go to Jerusalem during the time of Passover, and they're heading back home, and three days into their journey, they can't find Jesus. You know where we're going with this story. And they, So they're looking around, they're trying to ask family, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? We can't find him, we don't know where he's at. And they go back to Jerusalem, and the Bible tells us this, and kind of paraphrasing here in a nutshell, that Jesus was basically in the temple and he was conversing with the religious leaders of the day. And I'll be honest with you, he wasn't conversing like, well, how do I know God's will? No, no, no. He was instructing them on who God was. And he was having a conversation with those that should have known exactly that he was the son of God. He was having a conversation with them, basically um, putting, backing them up against the wall and telling them, hey, this is what my father says. This is who God is. The Gospel of Mark records it like this. And they were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes not only was his teaching not only was his teaching uh, profound but his works were powerful here's some things Jesus did he healed the lame he restored sight to the blind he cured the diseased he even raised the dead he cast demons out of individuals listen countless miracles miracle after miracle after miracle and the word of him spread like wildfire everyone was talking about Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. We think of stories about like Zacchaeus, uh, the wee little man that climbed up in a sycamore tree. We think about the woman that had the issue with blood who said basically if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'd be healed. We think about all those that heard Jesus Christ's name. You know why? Man, because his works were powerful. His name was powerful. The Gospel of Matthew records it like this in Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And the Bible says this, and he healed. They're sick. In Mark chapter six, verse number thirty-three, the Bible says, "And the people saw them departing, and many knew him and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and out went them and came together unto him." Listen, Jesus, and he had—you talk about miracles. Think about feeding of the five thousand. Think about walking on water. All the things that Jesus did, but also this—one of the things I think we often overlook about Jesus Christ was this. Let her see there. His love was incomparable. When you think about Jesus Christ and you about God's son, think about God's son leaving the throne of heaven, leaving the, the glory and the beauty and the majesty and the holiness of heaven to come here to earth, you say, man, why would God, why would God send his son? Why would Jesus Christ leave heaven to come here on earth for you and I? Can I say this? And, and really, I think this word describes it very well is love, love. You know, oftentimes we've, we've said this in the Sunday School Hour last couple of weeks, talk about using the word love and how we just kind of throw out the word love, and we don't really sometimes think about the magnitude of the word love. You know, the greatest expression of love that we will ever understand was shown on the cross of Calvary. And really, I'll be honest with you, I don't even think we can really understand that to its fullest extent, that God loved you and I so much, and Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, sinless, perfect, holy, righteous, in all his glory, would leave heaven to come to earth because of you and I. And what a thought this morning to think about this Resurrection Sunday that God loved you and I so much that He would send His only begotten Son. You see, His love was incomparable. He broke all the expectations of what a Messiah would be. You see, religion would have defined and confined Him to a much different box. He loved the worst that humanity had to offer. The most sinful, the most broken, the most devastated. He accepted those who society's elite disdain. He spent time with those religious crowds Uh, rejected. He reached out to the morally bankrupt, the lowest of the low life, and the poorest of the poor of Israel. He identified most with those who had the least to offer him. We think about the life of Jesus Christ, and for the sake of time, we don't have time really to go through it this morning, but you think about all the the, the individuals that Jesus interacted with, and you don't see Jesus interacting with the hierarchy of the Roman government in Jerusalem. You don't see Jesus interacting uh, with the hierarchy of uh, of society per se. No, no. You see Jesus interacting with the everyday individual. You see Jesus interacting with the publicans. You see Jesus interacting with the Sanhedrins, yes. But then you see Jesus interacting with the sinners. And you see Jesus interacting with those that have been rejected. You think of the story of the woman called, caught in adultery, thrown at Jesus's feet. You think of all the things that take place. The maniac of Gadara. You think of the people that Jesus reached. And listen, His love was incomparable in Luke chapter number 15 the Bible tells us this then then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured saying this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them John 13:1 tells us this now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the father having loved his own which were in the world he loved them until the end Then letter D there, his claims were confrontational. His claims were confrontational. See, Jesus defied the status quo with radical verbiage and behavior. He didn't embrace the man-made religious system of this day. He crushed it. He rebuked the religious leaders of their hypocrisy and their legalism and their works-based salvation, their, their oppression by the law. He warned of laden people with oppressive laws that were trying to get people to get into this box and into this restriction. Man, I'm thankful this morning that when it comes to my relationship with Jesus Christ and knowing the real Christ and knowing about real Christianity and being able to live the life God desires for me, I'm thankful this morning that I don't have to have a book or a person stand before me and say, okay, in order for you to have a real walk with God, Andrew, you have to do this and 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 this. And you have to do this. And then maybe, then maybe you'll get a relationship with God. Listen, I'm thankful this morning that because of my walk with Jesus Christ that I don't have to go to a a priest or or another person to confess my sin and, 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 and do some penance or to do some Hail Marys or whatever the case is. I'm thankful this morning. I don't have to do that. And I'm thankful this morning that Jesus Christ made the way for me to have a real relationship with God. Real relationship with God. But you see, Jesus Christ, His claims were confrontational. Even even today, in 2020, in April of 2020, for us to preach Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is confrontational. It's confrontational. You say, why is that confrontational, Brother Andrew? Because it says this, anything except Jesus Christ is heresy. Anything except Jesus Christ is fake. It's fake news, amen? Fake news. It's phony. Anything except Jesus Christ is not real. Therefore, it's not real Christianity. You say, well, that's kind of like dividing the line, Brother Andrew. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, have you ever thought about this? you ever thought about what it's going to be like for some people to stand before God one day and for God to say this? Why should I let you into heaven? Or have you ever put your faith and trust in my son, Jesus Christ? And for that person who stands before God, listen, who stands before God to give an answer like this, well, I was a good person. Or because Father so-and-so, or because Pope so-and-so or because reverend so-and-so, or because pastor so-and-so, or because sister so-and-so. No, 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 listen, let's, let's get real this morning. Either we have a real walk with Jesus Christ, or we don't. Now, we're not talking about religion. The whole purpose of this lesson this morning is understanding this. Our relationship, when it comes to real Christianity, is about Jesus. It's not, it's not about a tradition. It's not about a, a church or a practice, per se. It's about Jesus Christ. And so Jesus' claims as being God's son, confrontational. How about this? How about John chapter 14, when Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, Jesus, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And we could agree to that, everybody, this morning. We would say, amen, praise the Lord, that's exactly right. But here's really where it gets confrontational. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, Brother Andrew, can you explain that verse to me? Absolutely. Here it is. Ready? I'll explain it in the English so we all understand it. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. I mean, it's it's really that simple. So, Brother Andrew, it's kind of like simple and plain. Exactly. Exactly. Listen, Jesus Christ didn't come to earth to complicate salvation. He didn't come to earth to make it something that we can't obtain. He didn't come to earth so that we could experience real Christianity and go, man, This is hard. This is difficult. This is a lot of work. No, no, no. He came so it could be simple and we could obtain it. Listen, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Listen, this morning, if you're watching on live stream or you're watching Facebook, YouTube, you're sitting in the auditorium, there's a lot of people sitting in the auditorium this morning looking on out. Uh, If you're sitting here, whatever the case is, listen, if you're trying any other way to get to heaven other than Jesus Christ, can I let you in on a little on on not necessarily a secret, but on the truth? You're going to miss heaven by a lot, by a lot. No, 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 no. Your good works, your your, your giving, your your nice attitude, whatever you want, you're holding on to your religion, uh, your your thought, your faith, how you grew up, your mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, whatever the case is. You, whatever the case is. Listen, if if you're holding on to that to get you into heaven to say hey god here's my here's my ticket i i gave i gave $1000 a year to a nonprofit and man i was just a good person and and i was said penance and I, I i i said the rosary or i took communion or i got baptized or i was a member of this church no 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 if that's what you're holding on to you're missing out on heaven entirely so how does that relate to what we're in our series this morning well it means this If that is what I'm holding on to, to get me to heaven, then I will never ever experience real Christianity the way God wants me to experience it today. Why is that, Brother Andrew? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. and No man, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. But by me. Jesus claimed to be the door to salvation. In John chapter number 10, verse number 9, Jesus said this, I am the door by me if any man enter in. He shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. You see, the real Jesus Christ was outrageous to religion both then and now. Jesus was simply a renegade in the eyes of the establishment of the day. This is why they hated him, plotted against him, and finally put him to death. Let's think about this for a second here real quick before we go on to point number two. The religious leaders and rulers of the day, let's just be real this morning, they had a monopoly. To them, it wasn't about the people. To them, it wasn't about the gospel. To them, it wasn't really about God. It was all about their pocketbook. It was all about their prestige and their honor and and themselves. It wasn't about, listen, it wasn't about the individual. Jesus Christ shows up on the scene and totally dispels everything. And says, listen, it's not about the pocketbook. It's not about the prestige. It's not even necessarily about the honor. It's about the individual. And so Jesus, in his love, in his compassion, in his profoundness, and he just, listen, he reaches down to individuals exactly where they're at. And can I say this? He does the same thing today. Even in April 2020, he does the exact same thing. Let's move on to point number two this morning. talk talking about Jesus Christ looking at his life. Hold your place in John chapter number 21 and turn over to Matthew chapter number 27. The book of Matthew chapter Number twenty-seven. The book of Matthew, chapter number twenty-seven. See, Jesus was an unexpected savior, but number, point number two this morning in our notes and our handout there, there was unrealized dreams. Unrealized dreams. <clears throat> Just three short years into Jesus' public ministry, it all comes to an abrupt and a bloody halt, a bloody end. You see, the the ruling religious leaders finally got their man. They had well plotted under the cover of darkness, and there was a conspiracy. And so Jesus, we know this, was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, one of his 12 disciples. And so Jesus was captured. He was beaten. He was tried. He was crucified, and quickly and violently, Jews and Romans cooperated in an unlikely alliance. The Jewish public opinion turned uh, turned on a dime as if fueled by tabloid mania and social media groups. Here appeared Jesus. Here it appeared that Jesus was a fraud Messiah. You say, why do you say that, Brother Andrew? Well, because he died. Look at Matthew chapter number 27. Follow along with me here. Look at verse number 33. <clears throat> the Bible says, And when they were come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gale. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now imagine this this morning, that as we're picturing this scene, the Calvary scene, if you would, we're going to keep reading here in a second. But understand this, that His disciples are watching all that's gone on. they followed Him for three years, and they've seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. They've, they've seen the feeding of the 5,000. They've seen the lepers healed. They've seen all kinds of things that they can't explain other than Jesus is the Messiah. He's God's Son. There's a problem. Now they see Him, Brother Joe, hanging on a cross. Now they see Him as a mortal man. Now they see Him beaten stripes upon his back they see him weak they, they see him they, they look at him and it's like what happened to the Jesus on the hillside what happened to the Jesus that was walking on the water what happened to the Jesus that was teaching and instructing and the sermon on the mount Where, where's that Jesus and so for the disciples and those that were following Jesus there was unrealized dreams they had dreams of who Jesus was they had Dreams of who the Messiah was, and they had dreams of what he was going to do, but that wasn't taking place. Pick up back in our reading in Matthew chapter number 27, verse number 38, the Bible says, Then were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, another on the left. They passed by and reviled him, wagging their heads, and he saith, Thou that destroyeth the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. He will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. You see, there was unrealized dreams in Jesus' life, in his ministry, not by Jesus himself, but by those that were around him. Those that were looking and gawking at him and mocking him, here's the deal. Jesus went to the cross, knowing full well. Listen, knowing full well, this is God's will. This is God's plan. this is God's desire. This is God's design. Matthew chapter 27, look at verse number 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghosts. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent and twined from the top to the bottom, from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. You see, Jesus didn't go to the cross to perform another miracle that they necessarily could see physically, like healing of the blind. No, no, no. He went to the cross to perform the miracle, if you would, of salvation. He went to the cross to shed His blood for you and I, for the sins of all mankind. You see, up to that point, every year there had to be a blood sacrifice. The high priest had to give a blood sacrifice for the people, for the nation, the people of Israel. And here's Jesus, and if you would, He, he, he lives these 33 and a half years, a perfect sinless life, and he says this, he says, listen, nation of Israel, not only will I be your blood sacrifice for now and forever, but listen, not just the nation of Israel, but all mankind. Think about the power of that. Think about the magnitude of that, that, that here, here are Jesus' disciples, their dreams of who Jesus was, and what he was representing, and what he was going to accomplish, thinking that they're shattered, they're unrealized, they're just, man, there's a mess, and, the, and all his disciples fled and forsook him, and, and thinking, man, this, this this cannot be happening. We were, man, we were doing great. We were on a high. We were, man, we were going places, and things were taking place. And now Jesus is on the cross, and he's dying. See, Jesus had atoned on that cross for sin, and not just for the sin of the thieves on the cross, not just for the sin of those that mocked him and ridiculed him, spit in his face, beat him. Not just for the sins of his disciples, not just for the sins of Judas. No, 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 no. Jesus atoned for the sin of all mankind when he shed his blood on that cross. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews records it like this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. You see, for the most part, after Jesus' death, the crowd dispersed, and the show was over, the dream had died, and so probably many thought, well, Jesus is just a fraud. He's just a fake. I mean, look at, look at our text here, Matthew chapter number 27. Look at, look at verse number 42. And he saved others. This is the scribes and the, the elders mocking him. It says, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. <laughs> Look at Jesus hanging on the cross. Man, he, he saved so many other people. Remember when he remember when he raised Lazarus from the dead? Remember, remember when he la- raised Lazarus from the dead? <laughs> he can do it for Lazarus, but he can't do it for himself. Man, what a fake, what a phony. It was all just a dream. It was all just a fraud. It was all just fake news. It was just all phony. It was all a mess. You see, the dream was dead that probably some thought, well, Jesus, is Jesus of Nazareth, he was a fraud, he's a fake, he's a phony. Jews were still in bondage, and life under Roman rule would continue for the foreseeable future. So here's what happened. Everybody went back to their regular routine. Jesus is dead, he's hanging on the cross, gives up the ghost, he dies, sheds his blood, everybody just kind of, done, move on. With life. Point number three this morning, we, look at, we looked at this just now, unrealized dreams. But Point number three, how about this, is unbelieving followers. See, Jesus' followers requested his body after he dies on the cross. And if you look there in Matthew uh, chapter number uh, 27, we read the story of the interaction between Mary, his mother, and we know this, that his body was removed from the cross and was wrapped and laid in a borrowed tomb. Man, they must have, must have spent time as they prepared His body. And if you think about this, uh, it, was, it wasn't like they just dug a hole and put His body in the hole. No, no, no. There was preparation that took place. And I could only imagine maybe some of the disciples or the close followers of Jesus Christ that maybe as they laid His body, I, I don't know, maybe right there on the ground of Golgotha. And as they took and wrapped His body, you can almost picture Maybe the tears streaming down their face and the thoughts and the memories of what, they have, what has transpired for the last three, three and a half years. And I'm sure that, that many of His disciples, when they finally heard Jesus, he's, he's dead, He's gone. Maybe there were some tears there flowing and just some frustration. I can think about them wrapping that body and walking to that borrowed tomb and placing them on that stone inside that tomb and putting some spices and some herbs, whatever the case is, and stepping back and seeing his body wrapped and just laying there, lifeless. And all those thoughts, Brother and all those memories of what had taken place, and all those who were healed, and all the people that were fed, and all the miracles, and man, think about him riding into Jerusalem, and people waving palm tree, uh, branches at him, singing Hosanna, Hosanna. I, all, the, all the emotion of what's taken place they step on outside of that tomb and that tomb door is rolled closed. I don't really think in reading scripture that we even see this that as the tomb door was rolled closed that people were kind of like okay, now's the countdown. Hey, in 3 days he's going to come again. No, he's going to No, no, we don't see that in scripture. As a matter of fact, his uh, his disciples, if you would, were quarantined and they were hiding because they were fearful they were next. They were fearful that they would be the ones that would be crucified next. In Mark chapter number 8, the Gospel of Mark records this, in verse number 31, and He began to teach them, this is Jesus Christ, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes be ki- and be killed, and they were after this three days to rise again. See, the rulers needed certainty to quench this Jesus movement that was taking place because of what Jesus had taught His disciples. Look at Matthew chapter number 27. Look at verse number 62. Notice what the Bible says here. It says, Now the next day that followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. It's, I find it very interesting as I've studied this this week and read through the Gospels that you don't really see this excitement about the disciples. You don't really see this excitement coming from Jesus Christ's followers of, man, three days. Hey, man, two days. Hey, man, one more day. You don't really see that excitement. Like, it's almost like because of the turmoil and the, the seriousness of what took place and the travesty of Jesus' death that they completely forgot what he had told them. But, man, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they remembered it. Look what the Bible says, verse number 63, saying, "Sir, we remember that the deceiver said, while he was yet alive after three days, I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And saying to the people, He is risen from the dead, so that the last error shall be worse than the first. You see, no one really expected a resurrection, at least of all Jesus' followers. They weren't waiting for a resurrection, but for their own execution. So we think about this, and underneath your, your heading there for number three, letter A there, it says, where's the truth? The truth is this, is that Jesus Christ did die. The truth is this, that Jesus Christ was buried in a borrowed tomb. But here's the ultimate truth, that Jesus Christ rose again. And that three days after being buried, Jesus Christ rose again. Notice first chapter number 28 of the book of Matthew. The Bible says, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not, uh, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here for he is risen, as he said. And what a thought to ponder this morning that not only did Jesus Christ die for the sins of mankind, not only was he buried, but listen, that he rose again like he said. Listen, we're not talking about, we're not talking about some religious leader. We're not talking about some a person who, who ate pizza one night and had this vision from God that they're going to start some religion. No, no, no. We're talking about God's son who said this, I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna die, but I'll rise again in three days. We're talking about God's Son who fulfilled over 300 prophecies. We're talking about God's Son, the only begotten Son of God, who raised from the dead. Listen, think about this that as these women stood before that tomb, that empty tomb, look what the Bible says here. Let's keep reading here. It says uh, in verse number six, He is not here, for He is risen, as He said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, there shall you see him, lo, I have told you. Listen, here's, here's the amazing thing I think we often overlook. Not only did the angel tell the ladies, hey, he's risen. He said exactly what he said he's going to do. He did it. But the Bible tells us this, that he's in Galilee. He's out there. He's walking amongst you. He wants to see you. Look what, look what he says. Look what he says. Verse number seven. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Now notice what the Bible says. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and with great joy. And did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then said Jesus unto them, be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee. And, they, and there shall they see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed them the chief priests all the things that were done. Oh, here's the negative side of it. Jesus raised from the dead. He, he, the proclamation's made. The ladies are running back to tell the disciples. Jesus meets them and says, hey, listen, it's I, it's me, it's Jesus Christ. I told you. I don't, I don't know why you were afraid. I don't know why you thought that this wasn't going to take place. But man, here I am. I'm alive but then you have those that were against Jesus Christ who said, well, you know what, uh, the disciples, yeah, they something happened, and his disciples, verse number 13 of Matthew chapter 27, uh, his disciples came by night and stole them away while we slept. Can I say this this morning? <clears throat> I believe this word of God, this Bible I hold in my hands is real. I believe this is the real word of God. But I also know this, I also believe this, that as long as I believe and hold to the Word of God as being right, there's always going to be those out there that are going to say, "Mm, no, that's that's not right. Uh, there's There's some issues and there's some things that aren't right. There's some contradictions there. Listen, Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life, died on a cross, buried, rose again. Listen, and still there are those that doubted it. Still, there are those that doubted it. You say, why would you draw that conclusion, Brother Andrew? Because if you, read, if you remember just a few minutes ago, we read in, in Matthew chapter 27, where the religious leaders went to Pilate and they said this. When he was alive, I'm paraphrasing, when he was alive, he said he would die and raise again in three days. I mean, they are acknowledging what he's saying, what he said he would do. They're acknowledging it before Pilate, but yet when it takes place, they're like, yeah, This isn't going to look good for us. This isn't going to look good for what our plan is. This isn't going to look good for what we have, our objective. Our objective. Now let's go back to John chapter number 21, and we're going to wrap up Sunday school this morning. John chapter number 21. Here's Jesus Christ. He's, been, he's lived a perfect, sinless life. He went to the cross of Calvary, shed his blood for all mankind. He died. He didn't, just, he didn't fall asleep. He didn't pass out. No, no, he died. He was buried, borrowed tomb for three days, then he rose again. Now he's having an interaction with his disciples. Here's what he says in John chapter number 21. He says this, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Do you love me? You see, deep down inside, we're a lot like Peter. Peter. A lot more like Peter than what we're really willing to admit. See, some of us are like Peter and we've stepped away from God and we've walked away from God and we've done things in our life and we've tried to give God His place in our life and tried to give Jesus His place, but in reality, we've just kind of done our own thing. And if we place ourselves in Peter's shoes this morning, Jesus simply says this, Andrew? Lovest thou me? Yes, Lord. Lord, you know I love you. Lord, you, you know I love you. I mean, think about, I, I, Lord, I know you. I know. Listen, Lord, I know. I know. You know. I love you. I know you love me. Come on, Lord. Let's move on to something else. Notice what, notice what Christ said. Notice what Christ said in verse number 16. He saith unto him again the second time. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. saith unto him, feed my sheep. Then Jesus asked him a third time, Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Lord, I made some mistakes. Lord, I stumbled. I denied you. I put my foot in my mouth and I did things that I'm ashamed of. But Lord, you know that I, I love you, Lord. Jesus said, feed my sheep. But I think the most telling thing in this passage is found in verse number 19. This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. When he had spoken this, he saith unto him. I love that as you look at this passage of Scripture that it's not just Jesus and Peter. There's other disciples that are there. There's other men that are there. and They're watching this interaction going on. But Jesus is looking at Peter and he's making a real conscious effort to get to Peter. And he asks Peter this lovest thou me. Lovest thou me. Lovest thou me. Yes, Lord, yes, yes, yes. And we close out this chapter by Jesus looking at Peter and saying, This follow me. You see, real Christianity in 2020 is no different than real Christianity in 33 AD. Real Christianity is simply this following Jesus Christ. And this morning, you or I must look at our life in light of even Peter's interaction and Jesus looking at us and going, lovest thou me? Yes, Lord, of course I love you. Of course I love you. And Jesus saying the same thing. Follow me. Follow me. You know, it's real easy for us to tell God, God, I love you. It's real easy for us to tell Jesus, Jesus, I love you. Man, it's Resurrection Sunday, Brother Andrew. I mean, it's, it's Easter Sunday. It's supposed to be positive and happy. And man, the Lord's alive. Woo! That's all great. But you know, the challenge is going to be the same come tomorrow. Jesus is still going to say, Andrew, lovest thou me? Bronner, lovest thou me? Brother Joe, lovest thou me? And we're going to say, yes, Lord, yes, yes, yes. And Jesus is simply going to say two words. very Two profound <laughs> words. Follow me. You want to experience real Christianity in your life? You want to experience the real walk with God that God wants? You want to experience a real relationship with Jesus Christ? you got to follow Him. See, real Christianity is not about a building. It's not about the baptism. It's not about anything other than than Jesus Christ and following Him. So this morning, when we think about this, the real Jesus, ask yourself this question. Not do I love Jesus, not does Jesus love me, but ask ourselves this question, am I following Jesus? Father, we thank You again for the time we've had for the Sunday School Hour. And uh, we're thankful this morning that we're not Lord, we're not stooped in a religion that's based upon tradition, that's based upon works, that's based upon something we do on the outside, but rather our belief is in Jesus Christ and what He has already done upon the cross of Calvary. Lord, I pray this morning that we would understand that real Christianity is more than just holding a Bible in our hand or singing out of the hymn book or coming to church or Well, real Christianity is more than even just being a member at Riverside Baptist Church or being a member at another church. No, no, no. Real Christianity is having that personal relationship with Jesus Christ and following Him. Help us this morning, Lord, to follow You fully. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.